Well, I am rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I have to say, I kind of hated the train job. Okay. I didn't hate it. In fact, I had a fun time with it. Well, then we should have a good podcast. Uh, or, or maybe we're just going to argue with each other. That's fine. <laughs> I think that that's what a podcast should be. No, I, I just, it's not very good. And okay. it's kind of exposition-y and boring. You know, I, I, I okay, what? I will definitely agree with the opening voiceover. I mean, we had talked so well. So we here, talked a little bit last. Well, no, I think that that primarily, I think the problem with the train job is that um, you know I was in doing the research for this. Uh, you know, Tim Minear and, and Joss Whedon had two days to write this, and okay. it shows. Uh, there are some really good lines in it. I think the characterization is spot on. The, the dialogue is pretty good, but I just feel like. The opening narration really hurts it. I think it makes it a little too obvious. And it makes it... I don't know. It seems like Joss Whedon... Well, you have to pick your battles when you make network television. And it seemed like this probably wasn't the hill that Joss Whedon wanted yeah. to die on. But I think maybe it should have been. Because maybe if it had a stronger outset you know it might have had more momentum as a show well the thing is if you if you look at the pilot if you look at serenity the the real pilot not the train job joss whedon was making a very subtle show he was making a show that yes. was not very expositiony he was making a show that was not obvious uh he was making a show that was not kind of spelling things out for you and you really had to have your brain engaged you really had to pay attention to what was going on he would kind of throw names and places and and governments and and concepts at you that sort of were not seemed to be important at the time. He didn't really explain what the alliance was. He never really named what the war was. Um, you know, he never really went into the whole structure of what uh, the society was like or anything like that. And then you get the train job, which was the first episode aired, and it starts out with this narration by Book, who obviously was picked because he has a nice voice. Which yes. okay, that's fine. It, it it just makes it too explicit, and I mean, even to the point where they actually show you what year it takes place in. Yeah, I I, I did say last week we talked a little bit. It would have been nice maybe if we had had a Star Wars style text crawl, but this was too much. Um, it, it it certainly went a little too deep into things that we would have picked up anyway. It's interesting because even though this is intended to be a pilot, it does doesn't. River and Simon are kind of the best example of this. Uh, they barely get an introduction in this episode. If you if we hadn't seen Serenity, the little bits of flashbacks that you see in this are not enough to explain who River and Simon are, why they're on the ship, and that kind of stuff. Right. Um. And, and in general, that extends a little bit to the rest of the crew. To a degree, it seems like we were going to watch this pilot. Let's pretend it was a movie. Let's pretend it was a little more self-contained. And then it's six months later, and this is being aired. And so some of the stuff, you know, books, narration, and such, is reminding us in a way of stuff we already know, rather than telling us new information. This, I don't feel that you could have watched this episode completely in isolation and felt satisfied. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I, I, I think that that's, you know, when I was watching this, I, I had two minds about it. I was trying to remind myself that this was the first episode that was aired. So this was the first episode yeah. that, that you know, if, if you were a Joss Whedon fan, uh, you were watching Firefly from moment one. If you were just kind of flipping around and caught this episode, this would be the first episode you saw. You know, and so 
I was watching it under that kind of context. And yeah. I was also watching it from the context of I've already seen Serenity. I've seen the real pilot. And I don't exactly know why Fox only gave them two days to write this. Yeah. It seemed to be that, you know, because the way that network television usually usually works is you make a pilot and the network sees it and they decide whether or not they want to pick yeah. up the show. And very rarely do they say, you know what? We think this show has promise. We don't like this pilot. Let's do another one. Now, that may happen sometimes if they decide to change an actor or something. But they usually don't shoot an entirely new pilot. They usually just shoot the scenes that the new actor is in or if they're replacing like a main, like a, you know, like one of the main, main characters, the the huge protagonist of the show, they'll reshoot the entire episode, but it'll be the same script. Yeah. Usually in a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of times where you'll watch a series and the pilot is a little different or, you know, it feels weird in some ways, but not so different that it's not watchable. Right. And I don't think that Serenity feels that way. I think Serenity feels like a, a you know, a, a regular part of the, the show. But for, for the train job, it seems to me that Fox would have, it would have really behooved Fox to go back and say, okay, you know what? We like the show. We don't really like this pilot. Go take a month and make a yes. new one. But instead, I guess maybe, I don't know if they picked the show up and then decided at the last minute that they didn't like the pilot and maybe they, they shot, they approved the script. I, I don't know exactly what happened, but you know, it seems like maybe they approved the script. They thought the script was going to be good. They have, may have had some problems with it. And then they they actually saw the film script and said, you know what? We don't actually like this as a pilot. Make another one. And so they were already in production. And that's why Joss Whedon and Tom uh, Tim Minear only had two days to write a new yeah. pilot. But, and I but guess it's, things like if they had had the month, maybe the Simon and River introduction would have been more subtly done or, or more effectively done, for example. I don't know if they already had this train job episode in mind yeah. and adapted it to be a pilot. And so what you get is the first 10 minutes of the episode or first 15 minutes of the episode uh, are kind of having a bunch of, as you know, moments. <laughs> and then it stops. But like the characters don't really get introduced very well. I don't really get a sense of what this ship is. I don't like, it's all just yeah. kind of, it's, it seems lazy to me in a way that the show, I don't remember Firefly being lazy. No, this, this episode needs the needs serenity as it is. Again, I can imagine a version of the episode that doesn't need serenity, but that's not what we have. For example, I, I, to, yeah. to re- you, you know something? I mean, I'm honestly think what I'm honestly thinking is that, we didn't really like the plot of the pilot, the whole thing with the um, with, with the Fed and the thing with patience and all of this. Imagine all of the character getting to know you stuff from the pilot, except the plot of it is what we see of the train job. You know, as they're picking up these passengers, you know, and you know, we have to make a side mission and do this thing for this guy Niska and. I, like, that's a much better episode because, again, it's the action is – the action sequences of the train job are very well – the actual heist I like, the way that it plays out I like. But – Yeah. Um, yeah, again, it, 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 this, the character bits aren't as good and the plot is good. This seren- serenity, the character bits were very good but the plot wasn't. They're each kind of – supplying something the other lacks i would agree with that yeah and i think that you know the actual i like i like the plot of the train yeah i think once the actual episode gets started it's it's pretty good and it does a very good job towards characterizing who exactly these people are it does a lot of ways towards explaining the morality of the show 
which the show's this show is very much about the morality inherent in this universe and what the right thing to do is. And it is very much about ways versus means. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, that, you know, the actual, I mean, I will say that, that for having only two days to write this episode, the episode does hang together very well. The episode does have a clear, like driving arc to the plot. And I also like the fact that, it comes to a very nice resolution. And there yeah. is a lot of nice little comedy moments in it. I think a lot of the uh, uh, character moments and some of the dialogue is very sharp. You know, I, I just, I think that that it's it's pretty much as good as it could be for being written in two yeah. days. And I don't know. I just feel like it may have been better just to dispense with the whole plot introductions at all or the character introductions in this episode and say, okay, well, we don't really have time to write an entirely new pilot, so you're just going to get this episode. Do, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say that, that you know... I mean, yeah, well, it, Star Trek, for example, you know, the, the original series didn't introduce, hi, I'm Captain Kirk, and, you know, we have the Federation. You know, it just kind of went with it. Well, and there's, you know... Of and course, there's, yeah. There's a, well, there's a very, um, I mean, there's an interesting uh, uh, re- revelation in this episode where they reveal that, that Inara, the, co- the companion, has only been on the ship for eight months. Yes. Which was not information that was supplied in the pilot, for example. It's also implied that Jane has only been in for less than a year because he doesn't seem to know this. Zoe knows that every year Mal goes to a bar on Unification Day. Yeah. Jane doesn't even... You know, he doesn't even know what day it is. And I like the opening at the bar. I think it's really, uh, it's a nice way for the episode to start. It's kind of funny. It tells you a lot about these characters. It does the Western thing without being as overblown as it was in the, in Serenity. Yeah. It, it, it feels like a bar. There was these cliches of the brawl and stuff, but nobody's, you know, dressed in cowboy hats. No, you know, and we also. I think I saw one cowboy hat. But for the most part, you know, for the most part, it isn't as overdone as the original was. This is, this gives a lot of the flavor and the feel and the color of, you know, Frontier West, which again, thematically is the kind of place where we're trying to get it to go but at the same time it isn't it, it has its own thing they also get the you know you you have a lot of the chinese influence in this you know given their slang given they're the, playing chinese checkers exactly you know a little maybe on the nose but at the same time it's a cool little image i, I do say though that, that, that one of the one of the problems i have with the opening scene is you know it, it's a great visual gag and i think it tells you a lot about what kind of show this is trying to be um where they get thrown through the holographic window now okay that's a cute moment but and this may be a little pedantic of me but but you know in in the pilot and in the opening narration that we just saw like three minutes ago they say that the outer planets or the outer moons or whatever the border worlds don't have technology but are, so how i i didn't get the sense that this was like the border of the border like in other words there there is the central planets then there's slightly outside the central planets which is where we are so maybe it's not quite as nice but stuff is filtering out and then the real outer planets where the where they go with this this mining town is like I think okay yeah but they also have all, like a like a maglev train I'm like, I just, there's, there's things about it that don't hang together for oh, me. Cool. It's yeah. like, okay, if you're going to have these planets not have technology, they can't afford it, they don't have it, that's fine, then don't have it have a holographic window. It's it just, I don't know, it, there's something about it that just doesn't gel for me. Okay. And, and I think that, that it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't hang together. I just, I don't. Yeah, no, it felt like, to me, I thought that bar was the bumblefuck of a more 
more central planet. I didn't get that impression. Because why would they go there? I mean, the whole thing about the show well, because- in general is that they stay away from civilization, quote-unquote, as much as possible. At the same time, the point of that scene is that, you know, Zoe has that line, every year on Unification Day, we just happen to find ourselves in a Alliance-friendly bar. Like, he is very specifically going to pick... He wants to pick a fight with somebody Alliance-friendly. He's going as far out he can in definite Alliance territory that he's going to find someone who loves it, but far enough away that it's not crawling with authorities. I guess. I don't know. It just... I don't know. It doesn't... It rubs me the wrong way. Okay. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing, too, is it, it, it does seem to me that they lean a little too hard on. And maybe this, you know, again, the, the show was stillborn. The show only lasted yeah. for 14 episodes. And so, I feel like going with this out of the gate is part of the reason that you know this had to contribute to why it didn't really. You know what I mean? No, I don't. What, what do you mean by that? Like, I feel this was the very first episode aired. I was, as we said, there's parts that it doesn't really kind of explain. It's, it's not the strongest episode and such. Um, this being the first thing that, and such you're talking like them. (laughs) If this is the first episode you see of a show, you know, I can see why a lot of people said, eh, I didn't really love that. Well, it's a very, you know, it's a very difficult show. I think in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, it, it, I don't know. It's weird because a lot of people talk about, um, dialogue and talk about these sort of, like Joss Whedon's this kind of writer, uh, Aaron Sorkin yeah. is this kind of writer, uh, Aaron, you know, Amy Sherman Palladino is this kind of writer. There are television writers, well, writers in general, that have a very specific style. They're ca- the characters that they write talk in a very stylized manner that isn't really like how real people talk. And I don't know if you remember, there was, when this kind of thing started to become popular on television, when you could kind of start to get away with yeah. this thing, it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. You know, I, because I, you had Gilmore Girls on in 2000. You had uh, Sports Night, which was the first Aaron Sorkin oh, yeah. show, which I think was in 98. And then, of course, The West Wing was very big for him. And that was, I think, in 2000 or something like that. You had Firefly in 2003. You had Buffy, Buffy. which, you know, there are courses on the slang of Buffy. Like, that That was a very – especially at the time, even, the, the dialogue yeah. was one of the selling points of the show. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it, later on it became kind of um, – kind of safe for that kind of thing to happen. I mean, you start to get shows like, I mean, the United States of Terror, for instance, was yes. written, a lot of it was written by Diablo Cody, who, mm. you know, a lot of people don't like judo for various reasons, but I, I tend to like that movie a lot. But yeah, I think my, you know, my, my point is really that uh, uh, I can see a lot of people in 2002 when this show came out getting turned off by the dialogue yeah, and getting turned off by sort of the, the ways in which the episode is constructed. Uh, if you're not already, if you like science fiction, you might not like this show. Yeah. If you're a Joss Whedon fan, you might not like this show because it's very different from what he's done before. So I don't know. Part of the problem with this show, of course, is that yeah. I don't really know who the audience for again. It is. Yeah, the very concept of a space western is very confusing. You know, it, it, it's a difficult show just in its genre to pigeonhole, and that to a degree. With 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 a television show on a network at this point is you know, making something that's a little more high you know high concept like that is maybe a hard sell. And and this is one of the things that I'm going to be interested in in, in kind of visiting throughout this uh, this first season of of tuning yeah. in. I guess is is whether or not Firefly was a show that was just ahead of its time. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like maybe it is a little. Ten bit. years later on a different network that would be more receptive to you know working with the creator uh yeah 
So we've kind of talked a lot about, about Firefly in general and kind of a little bit about how the characters are introduced or reintroduced depending on what you've seen first. I think that this episode is very much centered around Malcolm. Oh, yeah. Zoe to a small degree. I think Jane to a small degree. I mean, we do, let, you know, we do start out with Jane, Zoe, and Malcolm. So already the show is telling us that that maybe these are not the most important characters, but they are kind of... They're the first three. They're the first three people we see, so we kind of think that they're most important. And maybe that's sort of Joss Whedon doing his thing where he kind of pulls the rug out from under you because yeah. I, don't think jo- I don't think Jane is all that important to the show, really. He, Jane is a very... Jane is a character that I really don't like. And, and I yeah, and that's not necessarily unintentional. No, it's not unintentional. I, I think he's very unpleasant. I don't my problem with Jane is that he has shown himself already in in both the pilot that wasn't seen and mm-hmm. this episode to be very untrustworthy, to be willing to throw Malcolm under the bus at a moment's notice for, for very yeah. very small justification. He is a mercenary and he will go with the highest bidder, yeah. I don't understand why Malcolm would keep Jane around. And it seems very, very stupid. This is part of the, you know, again, this is a show we only saw one season of. So, you know, there there is an episode later on where we will get flashbacks to how everyone joins the crew. And we will see a bit of Jane. But, you know, that that's one thing that I will agree. The show doesn't answer. And it's not necessarily clear whether the show doesn't. That's the thing. We There are some things we won't be able to tell whether the show has an answer for it or whether it just forgot to give that answer. One of the, yeah. one of the big questions, for example, um, there's that conversation between Shepard Book and Inara where Shepard Book is saying, why are you on this ship? It's full of criminals. They're doing smuggling operations, and you're a companion. You could be on any ship. And the answer she gives is basically, well, out here things are different. The law isn't as – we can't be as you know choosy about the jobs that we – that doesn't answer the question at all why she's on it. She answers the question of why are they doing smuggling. Yes. And there – I don't know if this is a good moment to say this, but this is something that was re- – the I believe in an interview with the actress years after the uh, show was canceled and everything. Um, she said that the character is supposed to be dying or something like that and she wants to see the galaxy before she – she dies, and that's why she goes on this ship, and why the again that's something that the show never even really goes into at all. And yeah, I'd be curious to see if that's even hinted at. It's not because I've seen the show after it, and it's barely mentioned. The only the only close thing is there is that syringe that is in the uh, pilot when the Reavers are about to attack. Yeah, well, that's kind of if I remember right, it's kind of a awful thing was supposed to be some kind of drug that she was going to take so that if they were attacking her, it would have a poisonous effect on them. Huh? Yeah. Um, I don't know why you just wouldn't shoot yourself anyway. Well, <laughs> and we'll talk about the Reavers cause the Reavers are dumb, but yeah, yeah I think that, that um, I agree with that. And I, I, yeah. I, I do wonder if, you know, I like the fact that, that this episode really does go into kind of the, the, the moral calculus of the universe a yes. little bit. You know, there's some really nice, and that's the thing. I mean, I sound down on the show so far. But because it could be so much better. And I, but the thing is, I remember it does get better. I mean, oh, yes. I, I don't, I don't know for sure. I mean, like I said, I haven't watched Firefly in its entirety 
in at least 10 years. So I don't really remember that much about it. I sort of have yeah. you know, half remembered things and stuff like that. If I see episode titles or descriptions, I go, oh, yeah, yeah I kind of remember that. So I'm kind of watching it with new eyes. So I like there's I think there's really three uh, key moments in this episode that kind of reveal uh, the kind of the different moral calculus of this universe. Number one is, okay, so they the setup for this episode, once they get past all of the sort of like fake pilot stuff in the first 10 or 15 minutes is they go to this guy Ishka. He has a job for them. Of course, they don't ask what it is because they're criminals and you don't want to know what he wants. Right. It doesn't matter. We're doing a job. We're doing crime. Um so they get on this train and they're doing this mission and they find out it's medicine that they stole. Um, so the number one thing I think that's really interesting about that is, you know, once they find out that it's medicine, Malcolm is very much, uh, yeah, return. He wants to return it. Yeah. He says and, even later, he doesn't even think that it's a choice at that point. Right. And I want to talk about the last scene of the episode because yeah. I think it's really interesting, but the second, I think, moral kind of calculus of this episode that's really interesting is it kind of upends your expectations about what the um, central government is like. Yeah. Because they do find out that there is that scene on the ship. And it's really funny, actually. I read that the uniforms that they used were from Starship Troopers. <laughs> so it kind of tells you where the money was going in the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they find the alert that the medicine's been stolen and the commander, whoever of the ship basically says, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. That's very different from what you would expect of say a starship in Star Trek. Yes. Well, we'll talk about that point in a little more detail, but your third point. And the third one of course is when they decide to come up with a plan to rescue Zoe and Malcolm from being, you know, kind of held yeah. in, in, in captivity and in, in par- what's that Paradiso, the, the town that they go to, or they end up in yeah. and they find out that the medicine's been stolen. The sheriff is sort of, you know, interrogating everyone to try and find out who stole the medicine. They come up with this plan on, on serenity and they, and you say, okay, it's got shepherd book and the companion talking and Nara and they say, we need someone who's really respectable to go in <laughs> and find it. And then, of course, there's a smash cut to Inara. Yeah. So that tells you an interesting thing about this universe where, uh, in effect, a prostitute is much more respected yeah. than a man of the cloth. So we're going to talk about – yeah, let's talk about these in order uh, then. So the first is that he feels – Niska is one of – one of the things that I felt was missing from the pilot is there is no real villain in it. Whedon is really good at creating villains as Niska is a fucking scary villain. Yes. Um, he is a very different villain than anyone in Buffy, for example, which uh, – but a very larger-than-life figure the way he is so polite and just horrifying. I mean the actor plays him like a cross between an insect and a lizard. Yeah. Again, it's one of the – he will recur, but you can see a full version of the series. He would have been one of the major recurring villains, and I that again disappointment. It his two his one scene that he's in is amazing. Yeah, he he's really good. Even his uh, crow doc or whatever, his little guy. You know, he's a little more cartoonish, but still a fucking scary guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like that this universe. Yeah. The, the, one of the things that I like as the series goes on is this is a series also – Whedon likes monsters. These are more human monsters than you know he did previously in Buffy and Angel, but they are still very monstrous people. 
Well, because I think that the show is is, is yeah. starting to make the argument that um, it, it doesn't matter what the popular conception of what is right or wrong is. Yeah. You have your own moral code and people can do things that are moral or not that make them monsters in effect. Yeah. And, you know, that last scene is really important because once Ma- Malcolm obviously is some, I mean, we know this from Serenity and we know this from, from kind of the opening exposition and kind of how we find out that he fought in the independence war. And we yeah. still don't know that much about it, but we know enough about it. It's similar to, I mean, they do say at one point, we'll rise again, you know, ha ha, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. But we know enough about him to know that, he was fighting against the central government. He did not want to be controlled by a central force. He was kind of siding with the little guy in effect. Yeah. And we know all that. And we know that at the end of the episode, he's on this planet. He realizes they've got this thing, this disease that is killing them, some sort of environmental cancer or something. And he decides to return the medicine. The sheriff looks at him and says, Oh, you know, it is hard out here. A man, will take a job without asking too many questions about it. But if that man finds out yeah. what the job is really about, he has a choice to make. And Malcolm says, I don't think he does. Yeah. So that tells you a lot about who Malcolm is in that, that moment, I think. Yeah. And I mean, it, 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 the sheriff is wonderful. He is, he's another, you know, just a couple of scenes, but that that is a very powerful scene between the two of them. The, um, because they have an understanding in that. Yes, moment. they but well, they both they may be on different sides of the law, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, both of them feel that their actual job is to safeguard the lives of the people who are under their care. Because I think that yeah, I think that's true, and I think they're that both captains in a way. If if you can say that that the show has any sort of um, I guess moral stance at this point. It is that the spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law. Yeah. And what the central government or what the central planets or the alliance represents is the letter of the law. Yeah. And what Malcolm and his crew and the border worlds kind of embody is the spirit of the law. At the same time, I think the episode goes out of its way to muddy that a lot, which I like. Oh, it does. That was yeah. very specifically the scene where uh, – the, the the sheriff and Malcolm are talking before he you know when they first meet and Malcolm's like well the alliance you know yeah they don't really do anything for you yeah he's trying to you know get their sympathies and the sheriff says yeah but the alliance isn't the one who stole the cargo and even though Malcolm returns the cargo at the end returns the medicine Niska is still out there Niska has plenty of agents who are there are you know there are worse evils than the alliance and in a way I think the fact that a lot of people have love for the Alliance. I don't think a lot of that love is entirely misguided because I, you do get the sense that at least on the central planets where the Alliance are, is about to have able to have control, things are pretty okay. This is a case where the further out from the center you get, the harder it is to grab onto power. You can only have – I think there is a degree where the Alliance has tried to bite off more than they can chew by unifying to this degree. Yeah. And again, on these outer planets, it can't really, you know, one, you know, a missing shipment of medicine, for example, is the, is, is the focal point of this episode. It is disastrous to this entire community. It's something that Malcolm, you know, is willing to risk being attacked and killed over because he feels it's that important. Yeah. And yet it's just one bureaucratic thing that we're seeing from this administrator who probably is dealing with 
how many shipping problems do you think he deals with in a day? I mean, it's see, it's a very cold, it's a very callous, you know, thing. And I think there is the feeling from Mal's view that the alliance isn't taking care of everybody that it can. It's taking care of only the rich while it's letting the poor go. I mean, that's yeah. And I mean, you know, I, if I remember correctly, we we do get to see yes. one of the central planets at some point during the show, yes. and and so you know, I'll, I'll we'll have opinions about that when we get to that. It'll be interesting to see what the central planets are like. Yeah. I, I do wonder though that, that, you know, and this is one of the problems I have with um, kind of the concept of the show in general is that, you know, this is, a, they, they want to do a take on a Western. I know that's why they have a train, but at the same time, you are shipping these things by spaceship. Yeah. You could land right by the planet. There, you, would, I, I, you know, there's things about it that logistically yeah. just, you know, and I know that it's kind of nitpicky, but. And I will say there was a, you know, part of it, when they were talking about how do we get Mal and Zoe out of there, I, I had a half-joking reflex. Well, why don't they just beam them out, you know? <laughs> Can't they get a lock on them? So I think that there is a degree to which – we just have to accept that the technology doesn't work that way. They can't land that close to town. It'll destroy them. I guess. I, I, don't, I know. don't know. It, yeah. To, it, it's nitpicky, sure. But at the same time, it is a question. Yeah, it is a question. And then I guess the, the, the other thing that, that the third thing I mentioned was kind of the implication that companions are, are sort of yeah. highly respected in this universe. And yeah, I, I don't really know what that means. I, I think that it's interesting both in terms of a um, kind of a feminist angle. And I also yeah. think it's interesting in terms of a sort of sex positive angle. But I don't really know in what's because it seems well, to me that the companions are not entirely um, prostitutes. I mean, they obviously no. are. are they're companions for a reason. I mean, that's a very – it's a very similar word to escort, for example. Yes. So, and we all know what an escort means. But it, it seems to me that at least in this universe, companions are – I don't know. Well, I, there's – okay. Uh, there's a few things that I, I, I think – I mean, number one – when she just waltzes in and she is the fucking queen. I mean, she is. That is just a really cool that every outfit that Inara will have on the show, it looks amazing. And, you know, I like how she's badass. I like how she, you know, has this really plausible story. I love how her credentials are impeccable. I mean, they say that she, you know, we ran her credentials twice and, you know, nothing's showing up. Even though the story that she tells is a lie. They have to believe it because yeah, if yeah. they don't, and frankly, it does explain all of the fishiness of Malcolm's story. Obviously, everyone knows he's lying. Well, this is what he's really lying about. Um, one of the things, there's a mention of a guild. She talks about, and I don't remember if this is in the pilot or this one, but guild laws say that companions can choose who they go with. So essentially, she'll go she'll land on a planet, she'll get a bunch of messages from guys who wants to want to hire her services and then she arranges she, picks them, she yeah. arranges her own schedule based on that. If she doesn't want to go out with a guy, you know, she doesn't have to. Um now of course Malcolm makes the joke, yeah, you go with whatever guy has the most money afterwards. But number 1, there is a guild of people who are charging extraordinarily high prices for their services. So in other words, the guild has a lot of money. The guild has a lot of power. Yeah. She is backed up by whatever this guild is. Yeah. And so – and also th- another result of choosing only the wealthiest and more pow- most powerful clientele, that's going to put you in – Inara has been in some very – 
deep chambers of power. Yeah. You, you'll pardon any innuendo. And so, yes, she is somebody who is able to very subtly wield political power and also very broadly wield it as well. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's – you're right. That does – you know, it's interesting how that – does occur, but it is the kind of the universe has completely justified it. And I also think, yeah, no, I agree with all that. And I also think that that another way that the companions are obviously sort of it's kind of a shock and awe situation, you yeah. know, because she is, you know, the, the, she comes to this border planet. Oh. It's obviously like a dusty little town where everyone is sick. You know, no one has no one's taken yeah. a bath in a week. You know, it's just kind of disgusting. And it's probably smells. There's not a lot of yeah. food or, or medicine or water there. It's not a good place to live. And she comes in. She's impeccably dressed. She's made up. She, her hair is gorgeous. Yeah. She probably smells amazing. She's wearing like sh- you know a deep red dress. Yeah, or something that shows up. Does it, I, I think the sheriff even has a line? You know, most of these people have never seen a companion before. And there's almost this implication that they're sort of these mythical creatures. Yeah, in some it's, sense. it's a and rock so star. It's know? almost like a fairy tale is coming through. Yeah, a rock star is just. Doesn't kind of she like, say something? Have a line like, "I'm sorry, you know, you, you know, I'm not. You, we're not used to, you know, being on this." She bas- I don't remember exactly what the line she says, but she almost implies like our our ways are so different from yours because our lifestyles are so different from yours that. You know, this is an everyday – this drama, and frankly, this is going to be the gossip of the town for years. You know, oh my god, this stranger came to town, and it turns out he was this companion's indentured servants. And, you know, this this is going to be legendary. She's creating yeah. a legend. Yeah, that's it. She is a legend. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree with that, and I think that it is one of the ways in which the show does – I think show its kind of moral center or the ways in which its morality yeah. is different from what we might expect. Because, of course, in that scene, they're setting up the expectation that it's going to be book that's going down there and saying, oh, you know, yeah, whatever it is. I'm a you know priest, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, blah. That's not what happens. You know, and so that is an interesting way in which I think they're developing this world to be different from what we would expect. Yeah. It to be. Nobody seems to have a yeah, book is the only one who vaguely seems to have any moral objections to her and that's really only you know part it's only vaguely in the pilot and it more seems like a little bit of uncomfortableness that frankly by this episode he's starting to get over especially that scene when the two of the, you know when the two of them are first talking in this episode and you know she says oh you can you know you can pray for him you know i never tell my that's like their kind of first moment of bonding yeah and you know but I also, any lingering feelings he has are going to be kind of by the next episode gone. But I also think it's important to remember that that episode that that scene ends on her saying that. Yes, it doesn't show Book's reaction. No, they don't have another line of dialogue in there, and so it leaves Fair. it ambiguous as to what Book exactly thinks about that, hmm. which I like. So I think that there are things about the episode that work. I just think that in general, um, you know, the show is. The show is a little bit of its time. The show is also a little bit ahead of its time. And I think that, you know, in the way that a show can't really get away with kind of being not very good in the first couple of episodes, I think that this show is definitely of its time. You know, if you think back to, like, the first season of Buffy, I mean, it's pretty bad. So I'll be curious to see what what the next episode is like. Yeah, there is a – and that has been kind of one of the open questions about Firefly that we may or may not be able to answer, but – Part of me imagines what what season three of Firefly like. Yeah, yeah. If, if this series, and we'll never find out. I know if the series were able to continue and it got its legs and it was able to slough off any awkwardness, what would have happened? Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, if you have any thoughts uh, on this podcast, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com. Uh, we have a Patreon, which you can check out at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you would like to support our podcasting endeavors with a little bit of your hard-earned money. Uh, and of course, if, if you're not aware, we have another podcast called Trek About, where we're going through um, the entire Star Trek franchise. We are still going through Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but we are getting towards the end of it, which is sad. <sighs> but we still have quite a ways to go. So if you would like to jump in, if you don't know about that show, just go to truckaboutshow.com. And as always, since this is a new podcast, we would like some positive iTunes reviews, please. It is the best way for new people to find the show. And we are also on social media, of course. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tuning in show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the first real episode of Firefly, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Bushwhacked. So we'll see you then. Mac, why do you...